No baseball game last night, the rare non-midweek situation, but there was plenty around the conference. We'll give that to you at the end of the hour, and we'll sort of tell you where the Bulls slot in the conference standing-wise and where they could by way of audio examples. We'll also give you some more enjoyable audio examples of what got Sonny Rayo on that weekly honor list, but got to start off with Georgina Cork. You never want to take her for granted, and if you do, well, witness what happened in Game 2 of their series when she did not pitch against Tulsa, and the Bulls lost 8 to nothing Again, that is kind of a big concern with the team right now. Uh, they're going to need somebody else to step in, you would think anyway, if they want to have the ultimate success and progress deep in the postseason. Their postseason outlook is pretty darn good, and I think you can use last year as a pretty strong example. Last year, the Bulls did not seemingly have the RPI to get into the NCAA tournament. They just didn't put together enough wins as far as non-conference play. What got them in, frankly, was the fact that they won three of four against Wichita, and I think the fact that they have Georgina Korik, unlike a sport like, say, tennis, which we'll get to in a second, where the rankings are strictly adhered to. Well, in softball, the NCAA Tournament Committee no doubt takes into account teams like the Bulls who have that ace pitcher that can give you problems. And, of course, the Bulls nearly gave host and number one seed in the regional of the Gators a big problem last year. It was no score until the final inning, and it was a nothing-nothing game. But the Bulls have got to be able to score more offensively, not to mention get more help outside of Corrick in the circle. If you didn't see this, after shutting out the Bulls for a fourth time in a row, the Gators turned around last weekend and got swept by Arkansas at home, and Arkansas is leading the SEC. And if you missed this, and I, I frankly did, their top pitcher this year for the Razorbacks. Now, she's gotten some run support. They can hit the ball. Actually, almost got upset last night by Central Arkansas, but scored two in the sixth win. They are now 37-8. and eight. Arkansas top pitcher is Shanice Delse. She is the transfer from Tulsa, who was fine for Tulsa, but, you know, the Bulls beat her a couple times, and her ERA was around three, but she has been outstanding. And, again, the run support is a different scenario there with Arkansas as they have five players with at least 10 homers and a team batting average of around 340. But my point bringing it back to the Bulls is they've been shut out by that Gator team that Arkansas just went to Gainesville and swept by scores of 9-1, to 5-4, to four, and then the low-scoring game, 2 to nothing. If anything, that's maybe something that could send the Gators out of regional hosting possibilities and could maybe send the Bulls somewhere else besides Gainesville. Probably Tallahassee is where you're looking at. Again, the Bulls are low 40s in the RPI, and good thing that Houston is a solid team RPI-wise, so they will, at 82, not drop if they can beat Houston two out of three or hopefully sweep them. Then after that, they finish up with Memphis, which is ranked in the 180s. So the Bulls pretty much need to take care of business this weekend against Houston, at least win the series and hope for a sweep, and you would assume a sweep next week against Memphis. Then it'll be time for the conference tournament. Now, Georgina Korik, it's news, I guess, when she doesn't get pitcher of the week, but she definitely was on the weekly honor roll for in her two starts, of course, the epic start against the Gators where it was an unearned run, and then nine strikeouts in the win against Tulsa, 2-1 Two to one on Friday. We'll tell you who was the actual pitcher of the week at the end of the hour with Around the American. Also direct you to a story on the British Softball Federation website, BritishSoftball.org, that essentially takes stock of the great season that Georgina Gorick is having. It really is unbelievable. First of all, I love 
British articles because when they talk about honor, there's a U in the word honor, that kind of thing. But her strikeout numbers are really crazy. They call it staggering in this story. Again, at BritishSoftball.org, 331 strikeouts to 25 walks. That indeed is staggering, 28 and 5 with a .48 ERA. Had a feeling that one of the Bulls freshmen would make the honor roll as well, and it was none other than Sonny Rayo from Orlando Bishop Morgan. This is the guy who, coming into last weekend's game against Memphis, had three hits all year. The Bulls were held down by the Tigers. It was the battle for last place, and the Bulls were already losing the series when he was inserted into the lineup by Billy Mole and came up with the big two RBI triple. That was not part of his week. And he only had one hit against FAMU on the Tuesday victory, but he had a big weekend against Cincinnati. Ended up 421 for the week, four runs, two doubles, and five RBI. And here's some of that action for you. Bottom six just allowing the one. Oh, that ball is drilled to right field, and it will get down. And they are going to send Jackson Mayo around, and Sonny Rayo scores Mayo, and Hayo, it's eight to seven. Nice job there by Sonny. Couple of freshmen combining. For the run. The Bulls now have their two, three hits in the inning, more hits than the Bearcats, 12 to 11, but more importantly, they have battled back from down seven to four to tie it at eight. You want to go ahead here, though. Oh, Rayo drews up on his head into the gap. It is going to get down and through, and the Bulls lead. One run scores. Here comes Eaton with run number two. Sunny day for the Bulls. It's 10 to eight. Rayo with his third hit, and man, has he had some huge one for eons for USF just in the last few days. Sonny Rayo grounded out to short his first time up. Hits that one to left field. That is a base hit. Mayo will come around. It's going to get to the wall. There's a chance for three here. And it will be 3 nothing. What about Sonny Rayo and his proclivity for two RBI hits? There's another. And it's three to nothing indeed. He would add his fourth hit in that game. Again, the freshmen were unbelievable. We're still continuing to replay those games because they were so entertaining. And then we'll have to turn the page, obviously, Friday going up against Houston. I said I'd give you a little bit of an outlook here if you're just sort of looking at the Bulls and seeing where they are in the standings. And that is still in next to last place. Even though they got the series victory over the weekend, they are 4-8 and eight in the conference. And I started to think back to a couple of plays. Actually, what brought it to mind was watching Tulane outfielder Jared Hart take an absolute certain extra base hit away from South Alabama last night. And so, as I was told, after he made one of the plays you're about to hear, that it really wasn't as big of a rob job as you thought. I think that turns out to be the case. But still, three pivotal plays from each of the weekend series. You're going to hear one from Game 3 against UCF, where the Bulls had the 4-0 lead, and UCF took a lead with a five-run fifth inning. And the key play that sparked the inning that should have been Bulls lead it by two heading to the six. Then you'll hear the play I was talking about with Jared Hart, where the Bulls would have gone ahead. And finally, the play in the middle game against Memphis, where certainly the Bulls would have taken the lead, and that series would have had a different take. I'm convinced that if all three of these plays don't happen, that the Bulls are 7-5 and five in conference right now instead of 4-8, and eight, which would have them just a game out of first place. Here you go. Mink allowed two runs, and that ball is hit. Oh, it hits the umpire. And go step on second base. The umpire can't make the play. 
So what are they going to call here? It hits the second base umpire. So what do you call it? It could have been a double play. Of course, that's not the concern. The concern is for Grady Smith. The bases are loaded right now, but that's, that's not going to be the case. Yeah, that could have been a double play ball easily because that could have been caught out of the air by Rosenblum at second, and you would have had a double play. It was going right to Rosenblum. Oh, my goodness. What a break. And now with a real chance, tying run at second. Doesn't have to hit a home run. Just hopes to even up the score if he can. Ooh, drills that ball. Will it get past Harden in center field? No. Golly, oh yeah. Second baseman out there, Engelhard, jumping up and down saying, yeah, we got him. You got lucky. That ball was drilled on the first pitch by Brodell. Sheer speed in center field by Hart. Keeps this. Tulane not only in the lead, but if that gets by him, well, Rivera at first maybe doesn't unload the bases, but definitely keeps Tulane in the lead. My goodness. Great job by their center fielder. And the freshman from Dunedin, nearly, he's already been the hero offensively, became a big-time hero there. I mean, he absolutely destroyed that ball. Three to two with two outs in the bottom of the fourth. Runners on second and third. Oh, get through the middle. Oh, it's scooped by the second baseman. Great play. And he makes the out. Are you kidding? That ball was shot up the middle, and Baskin takes it on a high hop. The throw is the easy part, but the Bulls stay behind. And even though I didn't want to agonize the highlight out to its fullest, that situation against UCF, of course, the Knights would next at bat, again, instead of being 4-2 Bulls going to the six, would hit a chopper that was so close to a double play ball ending the inning. Instead, barely safe at first, run scores, and then, of course, a bloop single to put UCF ahead. So that's how close the Bulls are to being above 500, or if you really want to say they'd win two of the three games right at 500 in the conference instead, four and eight, but clearly able to handle any team in the league. We'll see how they do against Houston this weekend. And I said I'd give you the outlook for men's tennis. It's pretty good. Thanks to collegetennisranks.com, we have the absolute, and again, since the NCAA does not govern tennis. It is done by the ITA. It is strictly by computer ranking. And so this website, collegetennisranks.com, if you go to their rankings projected situation, it has everything lined up for you at exactly where the bubble is. And basically there are three teams between the Bulls and the last spot in the field, which right now goes to Tulsa. However, there are still a few conference tournaments going on where essentially teams from multi-bid leagues could go atop the bubble. It's the same thing with NCAA March Madness and basketball. You know about this. If a tournament, say, for example, you know that Murray State is going to get in from the Ohio Valley Conference. Well, if you're on the bubble, you want Murray State to win that conference tournament. There are three such leagues, and really the big one to me is the Atlantic 10, which only has one surefire at-large team. VCU. So if you're the Bulls, you want to make sure that there's not a ton of upsets, but there looks like there's some quality wiggle room there, even if there are a couple. The Big Ten is another. Wisconsin is the host, and they're not an NCAA tournament team, so watch out for their first match against Illinois. If they win that, maybe Wisconsin makes a run. But right now, Ohio State, Michigan, and Northwestern, you want one of those three teams to win if you're on the bubble because they're all solidly getting in. And the other one is the West Coast Conference where you got four teams above 500, but only two that are slated to make it in as at-larges. Those are San Diego and Pepperdine. So I think the Bulls are in a good spot. And we got to say this, 
if they had lost in their quarterfinal, and it definitely could have gone UCF's way, they would be in that Tulsa spot right on the cut line. But the win against UCF and, trust me, I watched how things changed after the match, losing to SMU helped the Bulls. So their win against UCF not only helped them in the rankings, but gave them that extra game on their schedule, as it were, against SMU, which is, by the way, ranked 20th in the country. We won't find out officially till Monday, but it looks pretty good. That we'll be talking next week about the draw in the NCAA tournament, indeed, for men's tennis. And last year, they went to the University of Florida, beat Duke in the first round, and then lost to the Gators, who went on to win the national championship. I would not be surprised if they head to Florida again, as the Gators just won the SEC. It's going to be an SEC or an ACC locale. Those conferences pepper the top 16, and tennis is like many sports, baseball, women's basketball, softball, that have that regional hosting format, and then everyone will head to Illinois once you get down to the last 16. And here's that rule change in soccer. No more overtime. And I agree with this. I always thought it was unusual that the NCAA would have teams go 90 minutes. And if they were tied, give them 20 minutes of overtime. And if no one scored, then it's a tie. Well, if you're going to have ties, then have them after the regulation is done. I would always think it would be pretty difficult. And this happened against the men's soccer team a couple times to play very well and play evenly with the team and then have some fluke thing happen in the overtime. Now, on the flip side of that, women's soccer won five overtime games this year. Their final regular season record was 12-3-2. If you flip that with no overtime, they would have been 7-3-7 and and probably would not have made the NCAA tournament. So I know Denise Shilty-Brown is fully aware of the rule change and will have her teams geared up to try and win before 90 minutes are elapsed as opposed to letting it go until the extra session because there won't be any extra sessions in the regular season. And in postseason, so conference tournament NCAA, they will, of course, have overtime because you have to have a winner. But that 20-minute session will indeed be 20 minutes, no more sudden death. And that's a good change as well because sometimes in sudden death you have teams so concerned that they're going to give up that season-ending goal that they sort of sit back, but now you're going to have freer flowing play. But that's not until the postseason. Regular season, 90 minutes. If it's tied, game is over. And that's how it is in all professional leagues everywhere. And now it's the same in college. And that'll do it for Bulls Beat. Thanks for checking it out on a Wednesday. I'm Derek Sharp.